Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. People don't always realize that physical symptoms like headaches, teeth grinding, and even digestive issues can be indicators of stress. And let's not forget about doom scrolling, sleeping too little, sleeping too much, undereating, and overeating. Okay, so the copy here says to talk about my experience with stress. Oh boy, <laughs> do you have an hour? Uh, where do I begin? <laughs> Work, bills, life, family. I could go podcast. on for a very, yeah, <laughs> podcast, a very long time. And I actually do though, in therapy, which is so helpful for me so I can manage, deal, and get through it. Stress shows up in all kinds of ways and in a world that's telling you to do more, sleep less, and grind all the time. Here's your reminder to take care of yourself, do less, and maybe try some therapy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's more affordable than in-person therapy. Give it a try and see if online therapy can help lower your stress. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color. Listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com fruit. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash fruit. All right, guys, it's it's time for me to come clean. It's okay. it's time for me to tell the truth. Right. It's time for me to spill the beans. Okay. It's time to fess up. <laughs> it's time to keep it a buck. Keep it 100. Are you going to get to it? Oh, uh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so sometimes after dark, I sneak away and play Best Fiends. Others may wonder about my mysterious disappearances. They say, who does she think she is? David Blaine? David Copperfield? I say none of the above. In fact, I'm having so much fun playing Best Fiends. Ever heard? of it? Why, yes, I have. <laughs> I love Best Fiends. I love collecting the little monsters when you play so I can level up my fiends. Also, I love going in for the super long matches to free up the board and beat levels. Ooh. I am happy to report that I am on level 440. That's amazing. <laughs> okay, friend, I see you flexing over there. <laughs> now, Best Fiends is a free-to-download mobile puzzle game with thousands of exciting new levels for new adventures and challenges every time you play. I am on level 304. Beth, tell them about the offline play. Yes, of course. <laughs> there <laughs> is offline play, so you don't even need Wi-Fi or the internet. Oh, good. So download your new favorite getaway, Best Fiends, for free today on the App Store or Google Play. You'll even get $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Darkcast Network. Where the light shines brightest on our indie podcast. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised.
channel. Welcome to Fruit Loops episode 156. Witi Binafi, bienvenidos bitches, and thank you so, so much for listening. Yeah. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that we don't hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight, cis, able-bodied white dudes. What? It's not just Ted Bundy, y'all. I'm telling you. It's not all Bundy, Bundy, Bundy. Bundy, Bundy, Bundy who? <laughs> Zodiac killer who? I don't know. Hey, say Zodiac killer. Zodiac killer. <laughs> you know we're talking about the, the New know. York Zodiac. <laughs> I know. Which, but this one was more interesting to me. Okay, so okay. Let me... Let me Sorry to sidetrack. There are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color, and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because the news is racist. Allegedly. And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy, a Black Latinx woman. And I'm Beth, and I just happen to be white. We're not journalists, investigators, oh my God, it's not or her fault. psychologists. I'm, I, I'm sorry. I for- <laughs> Sometimes I forget that you're my favorite white lady. I'm sorry. Wow. This is going off the rails too soon. I'm very sorry. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. <laughs> Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294. And we may feature it on a future episode. <laughs> also, our website is fruitloopspod.com and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all our social media. The footnotes for each episode can be found on our website. Plus, check it out for the different ways that you can support the show and become a Fruit Loops patron. You can also support us by supporting our sponsors. So yeah. who are we talking about today, Beth? Today we're talking about Heriberto Seda, mm. a.k.a. the New York Zodiac. Mm-hmm. Seda idolized the Zodiac killer from the Bay Area, so he decided to start his own series of killings based on the astrological signs. Okay, but before we get into it, how you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, we hit 1 million downloads can this week. you dig it? <laughs> I can't believe 1 million. Y'all have been rocking with us. 1 million. 1 million downloads at the very least. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. I just, 1 million and counting. Hip hop air horns to you listeners. Hang yes. on a second. <laughs> Thank you so much, yeah, man. Thank you. We love you. We appreciate you. We could not do any of this sh- shit without you. Yeah. <laughs> and quite frankly, we wouldn't. <laughs> not this long anyway. <laughs> so thank you all so, so much. Yeah, thank you. Um, I just wanted to say it was Easter. Did you yeah. have a nice Easter this, this week? I didn't do anything, so. Nothing? Nothing. Oh, well, doing nothing sounds nice. I'm very jealous of it. But um, we recent, so we had we had Easter, and my kids are small, so we have to do stuff. We still have right. people in this house who believe in the Easter Bunny. Yeah, I did miss that because I you I think miss Easter. It. Well, Easter's fun when you have kids in the Easter baskets and yeah. all that stuff. It's I will. Fun. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It was actually the best Easter I've ever had in my life. We, oh wow! Um, yeah, I don't. I, I I came out of nowhere. We hiked up Stone Mountain um, to watch the sunrise which was so fucking amazing. I recommend everybody do it. Then there was a church service at the top. The church service was whack, but the <laughs> preacher started talking about the murder of Jesus. And I thought, what a spicy true crime story. Because this man was murdered. He knew he'd be murdered. So he invites the bitches who he knew would do him dirty and contribute to his murder over for dinner and then he gets killed and rises from the dead. What? <laughs> I, that I is mean, a really good true crime story. <laughs> isn't it though? I mean, I never thought of it that way before, but boy, oh boy, was that exci- an exciting thought to have all day long. <laughs> and then at, we did our Easter egg hunt. And afterwards, same place we hid the eggs, we found a snake. Oh, what a day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That sounds pretty awesome. <laughs> it was wild. So that's enough of that. Let's get into some listener letters. <laughs> well, hello, angels. Ooh. Thank you. Mm, 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 mm. What's in that bag, Beth? 
Well, I wanted to say thank you to Farm72 for your five-star review. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was a really good one, too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Also wanted to say thank you to Delvin D for your email. Oh, yes. Delvin listens to our podcast daily in their car. They said it's like riding in the car with two of my saltiest friends. (laughs) (laughs) And they said, I'm from Richmond, Virginia, and grew up in the 80s and 90s, about three blocks from the home where the Harvey family lived and was later murdered. Mm. That was the first episode of many that I listened to. And uh, that was the Richmond Spree Murders, episode 79. Yeah. They also said, I loved your show on the Southside Strangler, also in my area. And that was Timothy Wilson Spencer, episode 11. Wow, that far back. Yeah. I remember my dad driving nails into the window tracks of our window. So they would only open a small way and not let an intruder in. By the way, thanks for that how not to get murdered tip. Yeah. In the window tracks. In the window tracks. (laughs) (laughs) The whole area was in complete panic that whole summer. And I remember going to Cloverleaf Mall and seeing cops. I always just assumed it was routine security. Now I know they may have been staking the place out. You guys provided so much valuable and accurate information on my hometown and its changing demographics that I learned so much about a city I love. Thank you for everything you do. I'll be rocking my Fruit Loops tote bag proudly when it arrives. Hell yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. Thank you, Delvin. To Delvin and to Farm72, Hip Hop Airhorns yeah. people, thank you. Um, well, we got some new um, Patreons, but we have an announcement. Here, yes. uh, here. <laughs> I have a message from the Continental Congress. <laughs> he not the rebels who scream revolution. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'll stop. We also our announcement is this: we are leaving Podbean, so Patreon is where it's at. If you want to have access to bonus episodes and ad free content from Beth, Wendy, and Minnie, and um, so we just want to remind you to get into it, bitch, and get over to Patreon. That's, yes, that's yes. where it's at. It's uh, our Patreon page is uh, Patreon slash Fruit Loops. Yeah. Um, so just uh, cancel your subscription to Podbean and uh, get a subscription over at Patreon. That's right. And we'll be there when you're ready. Yep. <laughs> um, so our new Patreons are Nashia H, Alyssa D, and Kim G. All right. So here we go. Fruity, 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 fruity. Thank you, Nashia. <laughs> fruity, 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 fruity. Thank you, Nashia. Thank you, Nashia. Thank you, Nashia. We found you. Uh, thank you, Nashia. Okay. This next one. Oh, we Alyssa D. Hey, <laughs> thank you. Okay, and this last one is for Kim G. How does a ragtag podcast in need of more cheddar somehow become a super podcast power? How do we emerge victorious from the quagmire? Lead the patron fruities with Kim G with shouting bang buyer. Yo, <laughs> turns out we have a secret weapon, a patron. You know and love who's unafraid to step in. They constantly listen and support in the allies and their henchmen. Everyone give it up for the fruities favorite fighting Kim G. Patreon! <laughs> <laughs> All right, I did my best. <laughs> <laughs> wrote that the other day uh, and forgot all about it. So uh, I hope you appreciate the efforts that I put in because I know I appreciate you and Beth does too. Yes. Hip Hop Airhorns to all our supporters. Thank you for getting us this far. We're going to take a quick break and get into the story when we come back. We're back. Remind us, Beth, who is our subject today? Today we're talking about Heriberto Seda, a Latinx man also known as the New York Zodiac because he idolized the Zodiac killer and started a series of his own murders based on the 12 signs of the Zodiac. And uh, this episode was researched by Minnie. Shout out to Minnie. Uh, So now we're going to get into some stats. Right. Um, Heriberto Seda, uh, a.k.a. the New York Zodiac. And by the way, um, his name is 
Eriberto, they ca- everybody calls him Eddie. And uh, I listened to an interview with him and Phil Chalmers. Oh. Um, that was one of the, uh, and I will put it in the show notes. I just I forgot. missed that one. <laughs> um, but Phil Chalmers' podcast is Where the Bodies Are Buried, and he interviews serial killers, mostly of color, um, right. and gets their stories. So Eriberto, H in Spanish is silent. So when you say Eriberto, it sounds kind of like Eddie. So right. Eddie, Eddie, just for short. Yeah. Um, so just wanted to make that clear. Um, so he uh, shot nine people in total. He killed three and wounded six. The three murder victims are rest in power. Y'all Joseph Joe Proce, a Taurus, age 78. Patricia Fonte, a Leo, age 39. Joseph Diacone, or Diaconi, I'm not sure, a Virgo, age 47. Uh, and his the, the survivors were Mario Orozco, a Scorpio, Jermaine Montenegro, a Gemini, Larry Parham, a Cancer, James Jim Weber, a Libra, Diane Ballard, a Taurus, Gladys Reyes, Sedas, half-sister, oh my God. Yeah. Um, and this is from Minnie, who uh, says she's tempted to rename him the Failiac Killer because <laughs> failure seems to be a theme of his because he mostly failed spectacularly at many goals, including to kill 12 people. But it seems, um, she goes on to say, it seems disrespectful to the victims and survivors. So maybe that's a bad idea, but I'm going to say I like it. Failiac killer. <laughs> Failiac killer, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the last thing we want to do is give these guys more notoriety, yeah, right? Yeah, Um, So I'm here for it, Minnie. Uh, so now we're going to get into the setting. Take us there, Beth. Well, the setting is New York City, New York, USA, 1990 Ooh. to 1993. Mm. Since we've discussed the history of New York City in great detail not too long ago on the Richard James White episode, we won't spend too much time on that. But we do want to acknowledge that the land on which this event occurred was originally the home of the Lenape people, a matrilineal and matrilocal people who we've also discussed on numerous previous episodes. Here's a little taste. The Lenape were a successful people who were engaged in hunting, fishing, and farming the land when they first encountered. Sounds like too nice of a word. Maybe discover. I don't know. But they, <laughs> the, the Europeans came upon them as they were mining their own beeswax in the early 1500s. At first, the Europeans seemed to just be traveling through the area and doing some trading. That's what white people always do. Oh, wow, look yeah, at this nice place. This would be a great, great spot for a juice bar. Maybe Maybe yeah. a yoga studio. Um, <laughs> but then they began putting down roots. Uh, and the land was colonized by the Dutch in 1624. Then the English took control in 1664. After the American Revolution, job opportunities in the city drew a larger and larger population base. Waves of immigrants arrived to New York City from different parts of Europe at different times, resulting in culture clashes over time between freed Black people, Caribbean Black people, English immigrants, German immigrants, Irish immigrants, Polish immigrants, Italian immigrants, etc., all with their own societal structures that often came into conflict, and sometimes violently so. Now, New York's non-white population was 36,620 in 1890. New York City was a prime destination in the early 20th century for Black folks during the Great Migration from the American South, and by 1916, New York City had become home to the largest urban African diaspora in North America. Wow. Yeah. The Harlem Renaissance of literary and cultural life flourished during the era of prohibition. The larger economic boom generated construction of skyscrapers competing in height and creating an identifiable skyline. Concrete jungle. Yeah. Uh, Puerto Rican migration to New York began in the 19th century and became the largest Hispanic group to migrate to the state. The migration increased in 1917 with the enactment of the Jones-Shafroth Act, which granted U.S. citizenship, kind of, to all Puerto Ricans, and especially in the 1940s and 50s. And it was convenient for um, the United States to grant... um, uh, citizenship to these people because it also meant oh more people to fight in our wars for yeah us. <laughs> or to work to work yeah. yeah jobs that white people didn't want exactly <laughs> Mm-hmm. New York became the most populous urbanized area in the world in the early 1920s, overtaking London. 
The metropolitan area surpassed the 10 million mark in the early 1930s, wow. becoming the first mega city in human history. Wow. Wow. Mega city. Huh? Mega city. <laughs> Returning World War II veterans created a post-war economic boom and the development of large housing tracts in eastern Queens and Nassau County, as well as sim- similar suburban areas in New Jersey. New York emerged from the war unscathed as the leading city of the world, with Wall Street leading America's place as the world's dominant economic power. The United Nations headquarters was completed in 1952, solidifying New York's global geopolitical influence, and the rise of abstract expressionism in the city precipitated New York's displacement of Paris as the center of the art world. Wow, look at yeah. look at a, look at New York go. Okay, New York. <laughs> um so according to New York City Arts or NYC Arts, who hosts a page dedicated to Hispanic heritage in New York, quote, New York City is home to immigrants from all over the world and one quarter of its 8 million residents are Hispanic or Latino, a highly diverse group that draws the native American, African, Caribbean, Portuguese and Spanish cultures. Hispanic art heritage, literature and current cultural debates are kept up by cultural gems across the city that are open to all, Spanish-speaking or not. From author talks to masterpieces on view, from Latin jazz concerts to flamenco lessons, Mm. there are plenty of ways to keep up your family's ancestral heritage or to see a different cultural perspective for the first time, unquote. If you'd like to experience some of this for yourself, there will be a link to the website in our show notes. Awesome. I was going to say, it is so cool that New York is this place filled with all these cultures. Different kinds of people, yeah. But um, one of my favorite shows is Real Housewives of New York, Um, but not anymore because (laughs) they have really showed themselves, showed their asses, especially Ramona, to be quite quite racist. Really? <laughs> yeah. I don't, uh, I don't watch those housewives Well, they're shows. all really, really wealthy white women. And right. last season, oh, they're last all white? Season, yeah, yeah. And last season, they brought in a black woman, a wealthy oh, black right. woman, a wealthy, successful black woman. We talked about this, I think, a yeah, little bit before. I, I, I vaguely remember something yeah, about it. And they took, she, the black lady took them to Harlem and was like, look at all this cool culture, like we just talked about a few minutes ago, uh, right. uh, that exists in Harlem. And then they were all like, ooh, yeah. I don't really get over here very much, but it's it's all there. But you also have to be willing to um, step out and yeah, see. and and appreciate it because yes. yeah, I've had conversations with people. I really like buildings. I don't know why, but I, I really know you do, girl. And I, <laughs> it's it's interesting to me that. That you love it so much. And, yeah. and you, I just think it's really, I, you like light up when yeah. you talk about buildings and old, architecture. Old buildings. Yeah. yeah. And and yeah. I remember, um, I, you, you remember I used to take the light rail to work. Uh-huh. So I would take the light rail and then I would take the bus and then I would walk. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a long commute, which is why I stopped doing it. I, mm-hmm. I wish I could do it, but it, it's made my commute like an hour and 15 minutes. So I just, oh. it was just too much. So. Yeah. But when I would commute, I would look at all the buildings and all Mm -hmm. the people and, Mm -hmm. you know, and I remember several times talking to people about it, like, oh, this is really cool building, like it's run down, but, you know, it has good bones or whatever, yeah, you know, or, char- or character, yeah. yeah, or or something like I like going through kind of poor neighborhoods too because there's like really interesting stuff, yeah, yeah, and telling people about it and they they just look at me like I I'm growing a new head or something. Oh no, you no, know? it's it's if you're not, I had a teacher tell me once if you're not interested in stuff, you're not an interesting person. And you are very interested in these things. And I think that that is interesting about you. (laughs) Well, thank Um, you. (laughs) Anyway, back to the story. So yeah, back to the story. Sorry. (laughs) Latinx immigrants. No, don't be sorry. Latinx immigrants to the New York, New Jersey metropolitan area derived from a broad spectrum of Latin American countries. Seda is described as Latino. His victims have been described as white, but there are a lot of Latin sounding names on the list, which could imply 
by a variety of different races and ethnicities. The terms Hispanic and Latino refer to an ethnicity. The U.S. Census Bureau defines being Latino as being a member of an ethnicity rather than being a member of a particular race. And thus, people who are members of this group may be members of any race. Thank you. Very glad it was said. (laughs) The difference between the terms Hispanic and Latino can be confusing. Um, The U.S. Census Bureau equates the two terms and defines them as referring, but they're not the same, as referring to anyone from Spain and the Spanish-speaking countries of the Americas. After the Mexican-American War concluded in 1848, the term Hispanic or Spanish-American was primarily used to describe the Hispanos of New Mexico within the American Southwest. The 1970 United States Census controversially broadened the definition to a person of Mexican, Puerto Rican, Cuban, Dominican, South or Central American, or other Spanish culture or origin, regardless of race. This is now the common, formal, and colloquial definition of the term within the United States outside of New Mexico. This definition is consistent with the 21st century usage by the U.S. Census Bureau, or or OMB, as the two agencies use both terms, Hispanic and Latino, interchangeably. The Pew Research Center in Washington, D.C. believes the term Hispanic is strictly limited to Puerto Rico and all countries where Spanish is the official language and includes Spain, whereas Latino includes all countries in Latin America, including Brazil, regardless of the official language, but does not include Spain because Spaniards are European. Yeah. And white. Preference of use between the terms among Hispanic and Latinos in the United States often depends on where users of the respective terms reside. Those in the eastern United States tend to prefer the term Hispanic, whereas those in the West tend to prefer Latino, though that terminology has more recently been adjusted to Latinx, as we've previously discussed, to remove the gender designation. Yes, I think that that is accurate. I also think it uh, varies among uh, generations as well. Yeah. I've actually seen a lot of arguments uh, between Latinx people about what term to use. So, oh yeah, oh yeah, the, it's it's hot in these yeah. uh, discussion streets, but it's a fair discussion to have. Colonial colonialism has fucked all of us up yeah, as far yeah. as identity and how other people identify us, and I think it's good to talk about. I also think if you're not sure, ask. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Get ready for your starring role in a thrilling adventure full of hidden clues, immersive scenes, danger, and romance. That's right. It's June's Journey, and you play June Parker, an amateur detective investigating a series of mysteries. Ooh, you'll put your powers of observation to the test. Sharpen your sleuthing skills, find objects, and claim rewards. The visuals are fire. It's like a party for your eyeballs. (laughs) As you play this thrilling adventure full of hidden clues, immersive scenes with danger and romance in full force. Whether you're craving a good mystery or just need to get away for a while, June's Journey is the perfect game for you. It really is a sweet escape. I like to play when I need a mental pick-me-up. There is a detective in all of us. Find your inner detective. Download June's Journey free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia... Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal. Introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. The type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy. 
And you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. She stole from my son, who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. So now we're going to get into Seda's early life. Um, Eriberto Seda, a.k.a. Eddie, or Eddie, again, the H is silent, and when the two R's... I'm not going to give you a Spanish lesson. Eddie, a.k.a. Eddie. Eddie. Yeah. Uh, Latinx, uh, Latinx uh, person was born on July 31st, 1967 in Brooklyn, New York to Gladys Reyes. Eriberto's father was not around when he was growing up, so he didn't really know his father. But his mother doted on him, praising him for the model planes and ships that he would build, calling him by the nickname Eddie. She would brag to visitors about how talented and smart he was. His mother remarried when he was still quite young and once his half-sister, also named Gladys Race, was born, he received less attention from his mother than he had previously. His stepfather didn't stay with the family for long, but by then, Eddie had spent so much time alone that he had withdrawn into his own world in his head. He became obsessed with religion and spent most of his time alone, building models of military battleships, aircraft carriers, planes, and weapons. Eventually, he began to build his own homemade guns, also called zip guns, that were capable of firing. As an aside, I guess zip guns were a big problem in the 50s with gangs. Hmm. Young gang members often made zip guns together as a group effort, and they sometimes used shop class in high school to perfect them. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The emergence of cheap, commercially produced handguns probably contributed to the eventual downfall in the number of improvised weapons being encountered towards the late 60s. But I guess they were still around because Eddie Berto had one. And here we are in 2022 with those ghost guns you can purchase yeah. on the internet. Right. Um, so it's anyway, a problem. it is. It is. Anyway, Eriberto dropped out of high school at the age of 16 after he was suspended for carrying a weapon. Um, and he said he brought it to school to show off to the other kids that he had made it. And uh, somebody snitched on him. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, understandably yeah. so. Sorry, you, you know? can't bring guns to school. <laughs> so he applied to be in the army at one point, hoping to become a special forces commando. I think he said he wanted to be a Green Beret. He just really admired Green Berets. But he was rejected reportedly because he was an only son whose mother didn't want him to leave her and because he didn't pass the tests to get in. He failed twice, by the oh, way. Oh, wow. Um, and personally, now this is from Minnie. Pers- Minnie says uh, sh- uh, she's thinking it was more about not passing the tests and less about being an only son. I agree. That just sounds like a convenient way for him to pass blame to his mother rather than to do self-examination in an effort to improve himself. Yeah. Bars. (laughs) (laughs) As he grew into adulthood, he spent more and more time by himself and never sought out gainful employment. It was reported that he would steal money from payphones and vending machines to to buy things. Mm. Uh, When asked about Eriberto, neighbors didn't have much to say other than that um, they barely saw him and that he was a night person. Mm, Sounds creepy. (laughs) Yeah. uh, I never saw him, but I know he was out there at night. Uh, One neighbor had been told that he was epileptic and another said that he seemed harmless but strange. Um, Others said that he seemed to go out for long walks at night, but otherwise locked himself alone in his room. Neighbors also said that his mother and sister seemed like good people, but never wanted to talk about Eriberto. His mother would say he likes to stay home. Mm-hmm. And his sister, who went by the nickname Chachi, would sh- simply say, I don't want to talk about him. <laughs> I don't want to talk about Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I was going to say it's 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 hard to fail when you um are not leaving your room, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, clearly, he had you're not um, going anywhere. Got the taste anything. of failure yeah. early on, and it didn't, didn't like it. Feel good. Yeah. So, um, whoa, I lost my place. One of Chachi's friends said that he was quiet, but seemed to display an attitude of superiority. She said that when he was with a group, he would sit off by himself and not say anything. He didn't have any friends of his own, and people in the neighborhood, as well as Chachi's friends, began referring to him by, uh, by nicknames such as the Vampire and Chuck Norris. Wait a minute. The <laughs> guy, Texas Ranger? <laughs> because of his sullen loner demeanor. Oh, loner. Yeah. Like, I just think Chuck Norris like roundhouse kicks, yeah, tight jeans. Right. Um, yeah, I don't I don't really know how that fits in except for maybe. It was the 90s. It was a yeah. crazy time. I yeah, don't know. It was- <laughs> Good point. Good yeah. point. <laughs> so, now we're going to get into the timeline. Hit it, Beth. On November 17th, 1989, when Seda was 22 years old, a letter arrived in New York's 17th Precinct in East Midtown, Manhattan, addressed to Anti-Crime, the Elite Street Crimes Unit. Oh, he's buttering up so they'd open it and read it. Yeah. (laughs) The letter contained a large drawn circle with lines divided into sections representing the signs of the Zodiac. The sign Virgo was missing, but the Taurus section was overwritten by the words the first sign is dead. Uh-oh. Okay. Uh, okay. The full text read, quote, this is the Zodiac. The first sign is dead. The Zodiac will kill the 12 signs in the belt when the zodiacal light is seen. Question mark. The Zodiac will spread fear. I have seen a lot of police in Jamaica Avenue and Eldon Lane, but you are no good and will not get the Zodiac. Orion is the one that can stop the Zodiac and the seven sister, unquote. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, I have no idea what he's trying to say. Quite confusing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there you go. There we go. The officers checked through open cases to see if they could connect a letter to any of them, but didn't find anything. So they just disregarded it. Oh. The NYPD receives so many strange letters on a regular basis, and the vast majority of them turn out to be nothing but meaningless grabs for attention. Each is investigated, but even trained experts sometimes have difficulty discerning between the writings of an oddball who just wants attention and that of a violent criminal oddball who also wants attention. <laughs> yeah, that is that is interesting that there yeah. are people who write letters to the police like saying like this. I'm going to do something. Yeah, I did something bad. Nana nana billy goats, you know. <laughs> you can't catch me. They're wiggling their butt in there. You can't get me. <laughs> Well, there are people who go in and uh, confess to crimes that they didn't commit. So that's true. You know what else? Another very fucked up aspect of um, policing is, yeah, um, they get people to confess to crimes that they didn't commit, but they just. No, I was talking about people who go into the police department Uh and confess. I mean, they don't. The police don't bring them in. They just go in and confess. Yeah. To things that they haven't done after being interrogated. No. So they, they just, just go walk in. in and say, I did something? Yeah. What? That's cool. what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that happened. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Police did not. What my mind is, is I don't blown. even know if I can move on from that. <laughs> what? You walk your legs inside Into the police a police department. station yeah. and said, I did something I didn't do. Unforced. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah, they, they, some of them, they just want attention. I mean, some of them have mental health issues uh-huh. and other ones just want attention. And uh, it's, it's weird. It's a weird way to get attention. But then You're again, so me. is a lot of things. So. That's true. The last people I want to pay attention to me are the police. The police, yeah. Okay? Uh, so police did not know it yet, but the author was Seda, who apparently admired, gross, the elusive Zodiac killer. <laughs> <laughs> who had stalked San Francisco between 1966 and 1974 and had claimed to have killed more than 37 people. Well, the mystery. <laughs> anyway, Seda liked the idea of killing people who were purposefully selected by their astrological sign, killing one for each of the dozen signs. So he copied the San Francisco Zodiac's method. A few months later, on March 8th, 1990, Seda escalated from simply writing letters to attacking his targets. At about 2 a.m. that night, 
Mario Orozco, a Scorpio, was slowly making his way down the street near the intersection of Atlantic and Sheridan Avenues. Mario had a congenital limp, so he was using a cane to assist him in walking. Seda approached wearing a ski mask and shot the 49-year-old in the back, leaving him for dead. Now, Seda told Phil Charmler's, by the way, that when when he was preparing for his first murder, what he did was just he started going out at night, five or six o'clock, and just looking around for somebody who looked like they couldn't good run target. away. Yeah. yeah, somebody who wasn't paying attention, um, and uh, he couldn't remember who the first person was that he killed, but that's what he remembered going through in his mind. Hmm. Later, Mario told police that his assailant was wearing a brown ski mask and gloves, had crossed the street to intercept him, pressed a gun against his back, fired one shot, then stood above his prostrate body for a moment or two, aiming the pistol at Mario's face before he fled the scene. Mario played dead and it worked, so he survived. But the bullet remained lodged next to his spine. Mm. That must have been awful for him to have to live with that permanent reminder of the traumatic event, a bullet that couldn't be removed. Yeah, and completely unprovoked. Yeah. Uh, 21 days later, on March 29, 1990, at about 3 a.m., Seda attacked Jermaine Montenezdro, a Gemini, shooting him in the back only six blocks from where Mario had been shot. Jermaine, a 33-year-old factory worker, had been returning home after visiting friends in the Bronx and was tipsy. He remembers being struck on the head and shot in the side, but he did not see his assailant. Jermaine had been shot in the left side of his lower body. The bullet went through his liver, but he also survived the attack. Okay, so 0 for 2 uh, as far as Seda's yeah. goals are concerned. Right. Uh, 63 days later, a multiple of 21. Oh, okay. On May 31st, 1990, Joseph Joe Prost, a retired ice delivery man who had recently moved to Woodhaven from Rockaway Beach, was out at night rummaging through trash. He was arthritic and so he walked with a cane and his only income was social security which wasn't quite enough to cover his rent and other living expenses so he would go out at night to look through the trash for things that he might be able to sell or food that might still be good enough to eat what little extra money he could save this way he would spend on some beer here and there to self-medicate for his arthritic pain he went at night on his foraging sessions because he was a proud man and didn't want his neighbors to see him doing this mm. and to know that he didn't have enough money to cover his small living expenses. Mm. He had just recently turned 78 and he was born on May 20th, making him a Taurus. At about 2 a.m., as Joe was walking in Woodhaven, Queens, Seda approached him. Joe later told police that Seda asked him for a glass of water and then said something about a dollar, though it was unclear whether Seda was asking for a dollar or offering to pay Joe a dollar for the water. He said that Seda appeared to get angry at his response to the request, and as Joe turned away from him to go back up to his apartment, Seda shot him in the back. Witnesses heard the gunfire, two of whom briefly spotted Seda as he escaped, one of whom raced downstairs to help. Meanwhile, Joe, bleeding from his wound, was able to pull himself along far enough to ring the bell of a neighbor to ask for help. He was able to describe his attacker as unkempt in his early 30s with a beard and mustache and added, quote, I don't know why he shot me. I never hurt anybody, unquote. Sorry, I just heard something move. Worried about snakes, don't you know? Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So soon the police and paramedics arrived and found that Joe was badly wounded. So he was transported to Jamaica Hospital. The bullet had penetrated his lower back and gone through his kidney. He initially survived the attack and was expected to recover. However, after undergoing surgery to remove his kidney, he was still in the ICU on June 24th, 1990, when he unexpectedly went into cardiac arrest at 1025 a.m. and he died. Back on May 31st, the night of the shooting, Seda was certain that he had killed Joe, so he was unaware that Joe was still alive and in the hospital, as there had been no news coverage of Joe's shooting at the time that it happened. A note was found near Joe during the police response to the initial attack. It bore a pie-shaped picture with the symbols for the signs of the first three victims and a message that read, This is the Zodiac. The 12 sign will die when the belts in the heaven are seen. I don't know what that means. Oh, <laughs> in the immortal words of Todrick Hall, talk to the left hand because you ain't right. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> 
Initially, the officers on shift who had responded to the scene assumed this was just the usual robbery of the elderly gone wrong scenario upsetting that a crime like this would be so common as to be dismissed like that. Uh, But when he saw the note, one of the detectives that had been assigned to the case, Detective Sergeant Mike Cervallo, thought it interesting enough to share with another detective, Bill Clark, who had been pulled into the case. When Detective Clark looked at the note, he exclaimed, oh shit! (laughs) (laughs) Detective Clark had served on the detective task force that had gone after the son of Sam Killer. He was immediately on high alert alert that this might be a serial killer they were dealing with and advised the others to go back and get as much from the scene and the witnesses that they could. Now we're going to investigate. Now we're getting somewhere. (laughs) They searched exhaustively through the neighborhood and in Joe's apartment, ultimately finding the coat that Joe had been wearing when he was shot. And as luck would have it, the bullet fell out of it when it was shaken. The bullet was oddly smooth and could only have been shot from a homemade gun or antique gun, as it had none of the markings that would be found on a bullet shot from a normal gun. So I, d- I didn't understand this, but I listened to, uh, uh, oh, I know, I'm, I'm sure this will come up in the investigation, but every gun has like a fingerprint that right. it leaves grooves on the bullets when it's right, shot Right, as out, it but, spins down yeah. the barrel. Yeah. Yes, but homemade guns don't do that. Uh, On June 6th, 1990, identical handwritten letters were mailed in New York City to the New York Post and the production office of the CBS News program 60 Minutes. The letters read, the first sign is dead on March 8th, 1990, 1.45 a.m., white man with cane shoot on the back in the street. The second sign is dead on March 29, 1990, 2.57 a.m., white man with black coat, shoot in the side in the front of house. The third sign is dead May 31st, 1990, 2.04 a.m., white old man with cane, shoot in the front of the house. Faust, no more games, pigs. I'll shoot in Brooklyn with 380 RNL, don't know what that means, or 9mm, no grooves on bullet. The 12 signs will die when the belts in heaven are seen. In addition to the creepy messages, each letter was decorated with three pie-shaped wedges, each marked with the astrological signs for Gemini, Taurus, and Scorpio. The other was a cross and circle, variously interpreted as an ancient Celtic cross or the crosshairs of a telescopic gun sight. Police studied the letters for two weeks before going public with the announcement that their correspondent, then known as Zodiac or Faust, was wanted in connection with three unsolved shootings from the dates in question. There were certain obvious discrepancies, including the fact that one victim had been shot in Queens and all three were still alive. But the description of events was otherwise accurate. Even the ballistics reference to caliber and RNL, meaning round nosed lead projectiles. There you go. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Minnie. We knew we'd get there at some point. <laughs> was precise. The note found near Joe had a positive handwriting match, completing the chain of evidence. Uh, and the, the note also referenced the bullet not having any um, of grooves. those markings, those yeah. grooves. And so the police were like, oh, wait, this isn't just a regular New York this shooting. This bullshit. is serious. Yeah. Um, and so serious that that's where we're going to leave it this week. <laughs> so tune in next week for the rest of the stories. Okay. So now it is time for How Not to Get Murdered. So if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. (laughs) (laughs) This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. So on this one, um, a lot of the the uh, victims that mm-hmm. this killer chose were experiencing homelessness. Yes, so, and poverty, intense and poverty. poverty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we thought we'd uh, talk about safety tips for uh, people experiencing homelessness. 
awesome. So finding yourself experiencing homelessness can be the result of many different factors, including natural disasters. Being prepared ahead of time is smart. You might consider stocking necessary items in a bug out bag now. Bug out bag? Bug out bag. Yeah, just uh, emergency like, stuff. Oh, like a go bag for drug dealers. Yeah, a go bag. Yeah. Wow. So uh, um, I got this from an article. I'll uh, put a link in the show notes. They they also have in the article a link to things you might want to consider putting in your go bag or bug mm. out bag. Okay. One of your biggest concerns when you're suffering from homelessness is figuring out where to sleep or rest. Sometimes you can find shelters, but if not, you might find abandoned buildings that you can use. When you're picking an abandoned building, you want to make sure it isn't a hazard. Safety is important. If you aren't too sure, try to sleep close to an exit or under a support beam. Mm. Being alone can be risky. You're more likely to be robbed or attacked if you're totally alone. Mm -hmm. Finding other people who are also suffering homelessness can help, as there is safety in numbers. Mm -hmm. You do want to be careful, though, because it can be dangerous to encroach on the territory of other people. Depending on the people in that group, there might be risk involved, but it's risky to sleep alone as well. Mm -hmm. So you have to pick your battles. Mm -hmm. Staying in the same area for too long can be dangerous. Angry mobs or scavengers could see you as a target. One tip to remember is to keep everything gathered up in your bag unless you're using something. That makes it much easier to leave quickly. Mm. Avoiding conflict is also important. You don't want any injuries when you live on the streets. Even a small injury can become dangerous without any close medical attention. Without the means for proper cleaning and management, minor cuts can turn into infections quickly. Mm -hmm. When people know that you're experiencing homelessness, you can become a target for thieves. Yeah. Also, being noticed means that you might be kicked out of whatever location you've chosen. Yeah, people calling the police. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yep. Blending in is key to pre preventing people from trying to take what you have or kicking you out or calling the police. In order to blend in and avoid infections at the same time, try to keep yourself as clean as possible. Staying clean may not seem like a big deal, but it does help with morale and people tend to treat those who look nicer better. You can keep wet wipes in your survival gear and public toilets give you access to running hot water. And this, I thought, was a fire tip. Mm. Keep baking soda always on hand. It's one of the cheapest items for personal hygiene that's versatile. You can mix it with water, and it can be used for soap, deodorant, shampoo, and toothpaste. Oh. A box is less than a dollar, and you can find it at most stores. Oh, well, thank you for that. Um, yeah. These are also really good things to think about if you are um, one of those people who's like, oh, man, what I, I want to help. Um, yeah. So if you see somebody who might be experiencing homelessness or unhoused who is in need, next time you go to the store, I mean, pick up baking soda or a bottle of water. Or if you've got, you see those extra blankets on sale at the dollar store. So, I mean, if you've got, if you've got um, extra to give, there are so many people experiencing homelessness. The, uh, there's like a gazillion evictions going on right now yeah, because yeah. of people who've been affected adversely financially because of the pandemic. So everybody is in need. And if you, um, are, uh, fortunate enough to, um, give, find a place that can, um, deliver these kinds of items or helps the unhoused population where you live. And, or you um, can make little bags. You can stuff make little bags. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We've done that before. Yeah. So, um, but thank you so much, Beth, for that tip. It is shout You're out welcome. time. <laughs> This is where we shout out any content by people of color, women, LGBTQ folks, um, uh, disabled folks, any marginalized, othered or oppressed group of people or any true crime goodies. So I've got a, a doozy. Okay. It's, it's about people of color and okay. it's about true crime and it's called Hashtag Matter. By now you have heard the trailer for it. No. No, I haven't. You haven't heard of that? Oh, my God. Hashtag it's so, matter. Okay. Yeah, it is intense. Looking it up right now. It is a scripted podcast, and it's so intense. Like, I love intense. It's my favorite. <laughs> but it was so intense. I had to I had to turn it off before bed because I was like, whew, 
I, whoo, this too much, but it is so good. Um, and like I said, it's scripted. Um, so be warned. It is intense. Um, it's about this black father. His name's Gerald Hayes and he's played by uncle Jerome on snowfall, who is amazing. And he witnesses his teenage son being brutally beaten by police officers and a split second decision ends up, he ends up being barricaded uh, in a friend's nearby restaurant with one of the police officers who fucked up his son. And as the situation deteriorates um, and the press paints this young black child as the offender, um, Gerald is doing all he can to fight for justice for his son using the one tool at his disposal in that moment, social media. Um, And the story is told through the, the narrator is an investigative journalist um, who takes listeners through the afternoon and the aftermath through different media um, it's all audio, but um, some of its interviews, some of its um, police, you know, um, footage and stuff. Um, there are six episodes out right now as we are recording this, but it's so good. <laughs> yeah, that sounds pretty intense. All right, it's, but it's very yeah, it's very intense. It's um, uh, it would be uh, I, I might have to come back to it, but it's good. Okay, cool. What do you got? Um, I wanted to shout out a podcast called Scamfluencers. Oh, how appropriate for the times we're living in. (laughs) It's a wondery show. So, yeah. What do you always call those shows? Um, very well produced. More produced produced. than here. Yes, yes, definitely. (laughs) Very professional. Yeah. So the the hosts are Scotchy Cool and Sarah Hagi mm-hmm. and the, uh, or Hagi, I'm not sure. Um, but they're both women of color. Cool. And they unpack epic stories of deception from the worlds of social media, fashion, finance, health, and wellness. These influencers claim to be everything from charismatic healers to trusted financial insiders to experts in dating. They cast spells over millions. Why do we believe them? And how does our culture allow them to thrive? So they tell, yeah, these stories of scammers <laughs> and oh my i've gosh. been getting more and more into uh scams. stories about scams and con people they're just it's fascinating. fascinating it's yeah. it is it is and it all fits in this true crime space world that we're in and i love that more people of color um and marginalized folks are getting into the space because yeah yeah um there's so much out there for us to talk about and our perspectives are so valuable and I will be listening to Scamfluencers <laughs> on Wondery. Okay. Um, and that's also Hashtag Matter. It's an iHeart podcast, so you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Okay. Well, 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 that is all for today, my friend. <laughs> Where can the people find us? Our website is fruitloopspod.com and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all of our social media. Join our discussion group on Facebook at Fruit Loops pod discussion if you want to support the show you can send us a donation on the cash app just google fruit loops pod cash app or you can become a monthly patron through patreon this will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting there's no minimum and no commitment even a dollar would help and as always we have merch for sale on our website that's right and this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every thursday so until next time Look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there. Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. 
Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? (coughs) Or just a horrible accident? (coughs) That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave for your vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, you've definitely gone on a slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939, when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era, like Cuba and Vietnam, And I'll unpack the conspiracy theories, too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favorite listening app, October 31st.